Now, I have never taught this way about God's agape love or us agaping ourselves. But David experienced God's love and loved himself. Now, we know that Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart, right? If God says that everybody I know up to that point at least, David's the man. He's the man. I love him so much. But we know because of the Psalms is that David loved God and he expressed that love in, in emotional picturesque ways, okay? He loved him, but we have to then conclude the more he was receiving God's love, the more he was loving God in response to God's love, he was also loving himself. He was also thinking good thoughts about himself. He was experiencing something outside of himself that he was being loved. And think about that. David is a man after God's own heart, even though he committed adultery. Even though he used his position to abuse a family, all right? Even though he used his position to have somebody killed, he's still a man after God's own heart. Most of us think, well, God did like me, but then he found out I did this. That's why we don't like to confess things. That's why we don't like to, like, have things exposed because then we have to deal with that, our own shame. And how do, how do we, like, work that through? But we can be God's favorite. We can, he can be deeply in love with us even as we realize we're deeply flawed. So, and when we are experiencing God's agape love and we, ex and we love ourselves, we, we literally have an affection towards ourselves. We're not always pointing out how crummy we are. We're not always pointing out what we lack. We're able to say, I would love to do that. I can really help you with that. And that was a turning point for me about four or five years ago is when, I, when people would ask me something. And, of course, I always want to help people. But I started being able to say, you know what? I'm the wrong person to help you with that. But I also, because I was knowing my weaknesses, but also because I'm learning my strengths, I was able to say, I can totally help you with that. I'm great at doing that right there. And, and, and it's, it's this thing that we pursue. We become these really unique individuals. Now, now turn, open your Bibles to Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. And I would just encourage you to just jot down a couple, a couple notes. I don't have point one, two, or three, but but jot down some things that are maybe maybe some wrong belief that you have about God's love for you, and some wrong belief that you have about your ability to love yourself. Now, last last week I spoke on the limiting belief that we have that we have the thermostat that keeps God's temperature in our life really, really low. And we're praying, hey, I'm going to go get a counselor, and they're going to raise up that temperature. I'm going to go read a book, and that's going to raise up the temperature. I'm going to pray and fast, and my temperature for receiving God's anointing or God's love is going to rise up from 50 to 51 or 52, and it's going to get better and better. But we really are the ones in our own minds that, that crank that thermostat up higher and higher and higher. This is the whole story. They're, they're in the... They're in the um, I want you to picture this. You got Israel right here. You got Goliath's people over here. All right. There's a, they're each on a mountain or a hill. There's a valley in between them. And every morning, they're all camped out. They all have all their tents, all their supplies. This is disputed land that the that the uh, the valley and the hill that the uh, Goliath's people are on. And every morning and every evening, Goliath stands out there and says, "Hey, why aren't you guys fighting us? Send one man." And if I win, 
we get we get your land, and if you and you get our land, and he's done it for forty days, he's done it for forty days, and he's terrorized them, and everybody is afraid. Their best warriors and their king all refuse to go face him. So David, he brings in some cheese and some bread and supplies for his three brothers. He has three brothers there fighting in the war. He has other brothers at home. David's the youngest. He brings his wagon up. He hears, he sees or hears the front line and he rushes up there and he hears Goliath. And he starts asking, what's going on here? And this is where this is where we're at right here in 1 Samuel 17, 26. David asked the men standing near him. This is David, a teenager, not David, a king, not David, a full grown man. This is David, a young man, a young teenager. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? All right. So. What we want, what we, one thing we want to understand is that if, if you are receiving God's love, that your confidence level in the Lord is rising higher and higher. All right. And and I want to get this straight because I, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of double mindedness on this area. We think my confidence in God will get higher and my confidence in myself will get lower. That's not true. God does not want us to walk around with a low self-image and a low confidence level. Well, I don't have to be courageous because God is courageous. I don't have to be confident because God is confident. If we are rightly embracing the love of God, then we are rightly embracing our power and our courage and our ability to manifest change in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. So our confidence in him does grow, but our confidence in what he can do in and through me grows also. And it can look like arrogance to people around us. And David, to some, to his brother, it looks like arrogance that David's saying some things that he's going to say here in a minute. But don't, don't say, well, all my confidence is in God. It's not in myself. Well, then you've disconnected God's power manifesting itself in your life. And you're waiting over there going, I wonder why God's not doing anything over there. I wonder why I, wonder why I still feel lonely because God's not gonna, gone and comforted me. What's God's problem? Doesn't he like that? I bet he doesn't like that. I bet he's remembering my sins like I remember my sins. But our confidence, our confidence should rise up. The more we experience God's love, the more we love him, the more we love ourselves, and our confidence rises up to different levels. Because David is experiencing his love. It begins to transform something in us so we don't speak just like a shepherd boy. We begin to speak like a warrior. We don't speak like an addict. But we speak like somebody who's been free all of our life. In fact, the beauty of having been in a life, this is going to sound odd, the beauty in recognizing our addiction, not just not just drugs, but to anything, the, 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 uh, the beauty of recognizing that we like, have so much pride in us is that when we start to walk in humility, it really means something powerful. Because we know how we were, and we know what God's doing and how we are right now. So self-confidence born from agape love sounds like this. Things are going really bad for me right now, but I know God has plans for me. This is how we usually say this with low confidence. God has plans for me, but everything around it 
everything going on around me is bad. We have to flip that script and say, my life is horrible right now, but I'm excited because I know God is doing something. So we, we, flip, we flip that statement. So self-confidence born from God's agape love or us agape ourselves sounds like, I have never done this before, but I'm willing to try it because God is with me. So usually we say, God is with me, but I've never tried this before, and we don't do it. We do that with prophetic word. We feel like we have a word for somebody. We feel like we're supposed to help somebody some way. We feel like we're supposed to express affection to someone. But then we say, but I've never done this before. Had David said, I've never done this before, we wouldn't even know him probably. So here's closer to what, what it sounds like with David. There is a giant between me and what God has promised me. And I am so excited that I get to step up and face this giant. How many of you want to be that person? We do. We are that people. We have to make that choice. I have a giant in front of me. I have a giant in front of me. I've never fought a giant. I don't even know what to fight with. But I'm going to step up and face that giant that's actually in my land. A lot of us think that we're fighting giants to like take over the giant's land or the enemy's land. But we're not. We're fighting giants to take over our land. And it's never, we never want to be focused on the fighting of the giants. We want to be focusing on the promised life that is behind the giants. All right? We want to be focused on the treasure that the giant is keeping us from. Otherwise, we might as well stay addicted. We might as well stay lazy and poor and addicted to Facebook, addicted to media. We might as well stay there if we're just thinking about the giants aren't worth fighting if we fight the giant and then go back to our hill. And now we're camping and we just got, you know, got in a fight with some victory. Woohoo. We're fighting the giant because we're, we're, we're created to be on this journey that moves us into territory that the enemy has stolen from us. And by the way, this promised life is territory that the enemy stole from your parents and your grandparents. There's, there's a lineage. And it's whenever you step out and you face up and fight giants and you expand your ability to receive God's love. You expand your ability to communicate as a human. You expand your ability just to be a better employee. You're actually expanding the territory that your children and your children's children get. So you're not just fighting for you. You're fighting for your family at every age, at every stage. You're fighting for your community. The more financially free I am, the better it is for everybody in my town because I'm paying more taxes. I'm not a burden to anybody. Now, I don't want you to think that anybody's a burden to, to help people get on social programs that need it. But there's that, there's that thing there that the more I am whole, the happier I am. The more giving I am, the more at peace that I am, the less I'm in conflict with anybody else and the better the world becomes. And that's the power that I have. This is what agape love, self-confidence through David agape himself sounds like. It says, I have never fought a person, let alone a giant. I cannot wear the king's armor, nor can I, can I wield his sword. I'm younger than anyone in this army. Goliath is, is a giant and he's been trained since he was a young person to be a warrior. But at the same time, I will gladly step into the valley and fight this giant. 
That's what self-confidence for David sounds like. What does it sound like for you in that giant you're facing? Maybe it's fear, anxiety, poverty. It could be, it could be a number of things. Maybe it's your own pride and you recognize, oh, I've got pride. And you keep butting up against pride. You can't get in, you can't get into the promised life because there's that giant of pride. And every time you try something, you keep get pushed back. And you've been on the silk for so long, but it's pride, 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 pride. So we have to face that pride. And we have to fight that pride. And we do it in certain ways. So what was the difference that David, young David, had for all the soldiers and the king himself when facing Goliath? The only thing that was different was David's thought about his God, which changed his thoughts about himself, which changed his thoughts about his outcome. Okay? But all the people, all the people on his side, all the Israelites, same God, same schooling, same belief system, same blood running through their, their, their system, same set of scriptures, same set of values, same, same experiences growing up. Yet one of them, his thoughts were different about God which caused his thoughts to be different about himself, which caused his thoughts to be about the outcome to be different also. Now, so one result of agaping yourself is confidence, okay? And another, another, oh, and here's the difference between self-confidence and arrogance, because uh, uh, I want you to get this right. Arrogance says, I am better than somebody else. Arrogance says, I'll show off myself by bringing somebody else down. I'll compare myself to other people in order to all be on top. Self-confidence says, I don't compare myself to anybody. I'm just good at this. It's me. This is it's about me being good at this. It's, it's a different thing. It's a different heart entirely. So the second thing, when we agape ourselves, we we ignore the negativity around us. How many, how many of you have negativity in your life? Only about half of you. That's pretty good. The world is really, really negative. Even, even, when there, even when there's a negativity going on and people start being super negative about the negative, that's negative. I'm being negative about the negative. All right? But whenever we are experiencing God's love and we are agaping ourselves, we ignore the negativity about us. Now, go to 1 Samuel 17, 28. And, and in 17, 28, we're going to hear... David's oldest brother's opinion of him. We're going to hear Eliab's opinion of David. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? He questioned David's motive. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He questioned his wisdom, and he also pointed out his smallness. You're just a shepherd. I know how conceited you are and how wicked you are and how wicked your heart is. He has signed heart condition to David. All right, he judged David, David's very heart condition, and you came down only to watch the battle. He called David selfish. He said, you didn't come down here to help anybody. You didn't come down here because you're interested in anything other than yourself. David ignores him completely. And he starts talking to the other soldiers. And because he's talking to the other soldiers, going, what's going on? What does the person who defeat Goliath get? The word gets around to King Saul. King Saul sends somebody to get, get David. And this, in verse uh, 32 and 33, this is David speaking to Saul, then Saul speaking back to David. David said, when David's called to his tent, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him first. 
Is that confidence or arrogance? We don't know. We, we know it's now it's confidence, but at that moment, we ought to be able to say something like that in regards to helping defeat something and warring for somebody. And say, when we do this, when I show up, things are going to change in your home. And the king's reply was this. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. And you are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. What does David do? Does he listen to his brother? No. Does he listen to his king, the government in his life, the culture in his life? No. No, he doesn't. In fact, what, is, what does David start doing? I think this is awesome. David starts telling his side of the story. David, instead of talking about Goliath, instead of talking about the soldiers that aren't going out there, instead of talking about his youth, he begins to say something like, well, he says exactly this in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. Does he have any reason to believe that? Any reason... Of it, just because you can kill a bear doesn't mean you can kill a giant. Just because you can kill a lion doesn't mean you can kill a giant. The only reason he has to believe that is because he has some sort of belief that whatever, you're, whatever you steward well and small, more will be given unto you. Whatever you do here and you do faithful with, you'll be granted even more. And so there, there's something in David and his thought processes that allows him to think differently than everybody else is there. And I've got to believe it's, it's him experiencing at a young age, God's affection for him, him experiencing that, giving God affection back to God, and then being built up with God's love for him, bringing him into a confidence, courageous place. So let me ask you a question. What was more true? Was David there only to bring food to his brothers, or was he there to fight Goliath? Let, let, let me say it in a different way. What was more, what's more factual? What's more factual? Did he drop off the supplies and rush to the battlefield to only see the battle? Or did he actually rush up to the front lines with right motive and wanting to fight a giant? So what's more factual? That he was too young to be a warrior? Or that he was just the right age to be a warrior? The facts would say he's too young. All the facts in this story go against David. What was more true? Was David a shepherd boy or was David a fierce warrior? The brother points out the fact. You're, you're a shepherd. You're a shepherd boy. You're not even a sheep owner. You don't even own a ranch. You're, you're dad's shepherd boy. So the facts, when, when, when we're trying to love ourselves, when we're trying to make our own way, when we're trying to figure things out on our own, we begin to gather all the facts. All right? So we say, I want, I want to get to the back wall. We take a couple steps, and things get hard. And we're like, whoa, these facts are all lining up against me. I guess I'm not, I can't have any friends. I guess I can't save $1,000. I guess I can't ever be anointed. I guess I'll always be tormented. So we back up, and we get back on our hill in our tent, and, and the giant still torments us every day. That's the thing. 
if we could hear, if we could, if, if we could be more a little bit more aware, we'd be hearing the giants tormenting us. And some of us can. That that's why addiction can be an obvious thing because the addiction torments you. That's why that's why not knowing where your next check's going to come from can torment you. That's why we use addiction and we use uh, you know t- budget money and we use weight loss as some of those markers because there are obvious things that are out there that are tormenting us. So if you get if you if you have a disease, you are instantly faced with the giant of the disease, but also all the fear that goes along with it. Right? Those are the facts. So what's more true? Was David too young to fight Goliath, or was he just the right age? Was David a giant killer at that point? How can David see himself as a giant killer before he's ever even killed a regular-sized person? I mean, think about that. So how do you begin to see yourself as a giant killer before you've ever had any victory in that area? It's what you think about yourself. And when you think about yourself, when, it, when, you, when you think about yourself in a factual way, you will always lose. You will always lose. You will always lose. When you think about yourself in a truthful way, and what we do, we call it truth because it's what we know about ourselves. But the truth is, is what God says about you. And he calls every one of us more than an overcomer. He calls every one of us a giant killer. And you have stories to choose from. David chooses from the stories. He makes a choice. I'm going to ignore this story, and I'm going to choose this story. What story do you want to choose in your life to produce the life that you want? You have to ask yourself that. So what we hear a lot of people, we hear a lot of people in stories about their marriage, about their jobs, about their held captive because of a lack of education or because they tried to, to start, start a, a, job, a company or a career and it failed and they, they stepped back on their hill. Then they step back out and they step back on their hill. And then they saw, well, the facts are against me. My experience is all my wisdom tells me I can't start a business. I can't be financially free. I can't be a healthy weight. I can't be a positive person. I can't blank, blank, blank. And it goes on and on and on and on. So we stay back here. All right. So we all have things that people have said about us. We all have things that we've done and things happen to us that can be used as proof that we're no good, rotten people, right? Or that we're afraid, we're too anxious, we're too confused. But none of this ever true. God is never saying about that about us. Now, it's bad enough that he has, you know, he has Eliab and he has King Saul. But listen to what Goliath says over him. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you came at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. Notice that the moment David makes a commitment to fight the giant and he steps towards the giant, it says the giant begins to come towards him. And often we step into this place of a little bit of belief, which is all we need. We see a giant step closer to us. We're like, well, it's bigger than I thought. It's deeper in me than I thought. And we back up onto our hill. We get back in our tent and we keep being tormented by the giant. What David does is he, the giant steps towards him, and David rushes towards the giant. 
We've got to learn to rush towards our giants, to be unafraid. This is the deal. It's kind of like, um, what's that Tom Cruise movie where it keeps coming back to life? No tomorrow, day after tomorrow. Tom Cruise is in a great with Emily Blunt. They're like been invaded, and he goes and every day he goes out to battle. And every time he steps out, the first time he doesn't know he's going to wake up back the day before, and he and, but but he gets killed like before he even gets on the ground to fight these aliens. And then the next day, he gets, he, he, and once you realize, he keeps getting a little bit further. What we don't realize for us, for us, every time we go out to face our battle and we get defeated, we learn something. So our defeat is never defeat. Our failure is never failure. If we keep facing our giant, if we keep going out there, we will save our world or enter into our promise life. There's a promise life between you and your giant. There's something on that hill over there that you want, that you want. And it might be as simple as I want to be a certain way. It might be I just want to be more financially free. It might be I want a job with, with better potential. It might be I want a happier marriage, more... More communication, more anything. It might be I want to be a better dad. There's there's something there. The reason we don't go after it because there's a giant there speaking to us, speaking over us, using its words to to damage us and keep us afraid. So David again, he ignores Eliab's words. He ignores his king's words. He ignores Goliath's words. Goliath's words. But this is what he does in verse 46. He prophesies over his situation. He prophesies saying, this is the heart of God. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. When we agape ourselves, we speak well of our future. We have great hope for our future. So David steps, he's in, he's in Saul's tent, okay? He's in Saul's tent, and we're not going to get to this today, but Saul's like, here, wear my armor, here's my sword. And David's like all clumsy, and he can't do it because he's small, but he's never worn, he's never fought in before. He could probably barely move. He says, no, I'm just going to go as who I am. And then the next time he's in Saul's tent, he's what's he carrying with him but the head of David, the head of, the, of Goliath. When he's in that tent, he's not a giant killer. When he comes back to that tent, he's a giant killer. We can prophesy over ourselves. We can speak. We can say, this year is going to be a great year. God's going to bless me this year. I'm going to be this weight, this healthy weight. I'm going to have financial freedom. I'm going to have my debt paid off this time next year. We declare those things, and then we begin to, we can't just declare them, okay? We declare them, we speak them over us, and then we step in. We step into the fight with our Goliath. And a lot of times Goliath ha has a lot of different characteristics, but it's usually something like fear, anxiety, laziness, bad stewardship, don't want discomfort. But it also has a lot of how you were brought up to think, how our culture is, how our parents taught us, even though we said they didn't teach us it, but they did teach us by seeing them. And we're stepping into battle with some thoughts and identity problems that we got when we were 10 years old. And we walked that way, so we have to step up there and get out of that way. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conclude here. Go to verse uh, 53. Okay, 
This is what I want you to understand as we conclude here. And I'd love it if you went through and just listened to or read chapter 17 a lot. So David kills the giant that was berating the king of Israel, all of Israel, David's family, and the entire nation, right? And God, our God. And, 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 and this is the thing. It says here, in verse 51, go to 51. Then the men of Israel, just that Goliath is dead. Is, uh, David ran up to him, cut his head off with the sword. He's dead. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David, okay, then, then we'll stop right there. So this is the deal. There's a giant there. There's a camp over there. The enemy has a whole bunch of stuff that belongs to you that you get. Did you know that? We, we, we go after a giant. There's a reward in going after the giant. There's a reward in going after the giant. And I, I think that all, all the people on this mountain over here that have our spoils are demonic entities of some sort. You know what I think Goliath is? I think Goliath is our own thoughts yelling and screaming at us. You're unlovable. God's not looking after you. You've tried it before. You're no good at this. You're not even a good Christian. How can you think that God wants anything for you? And that giant there is talking to us in such clear, demeaning ways because it knows us so well. But once that giant is gone and we realize our power, then so much, just like the Israelite, all the soldiers, they come rushing in after David uh, kills Goliath. We've got all this other support once we break through that one singular thing. But wait, there's more, okay? There's not just the spoils of the land. There's other rewards like the king will give the man who kills Goliath great wealth. The king will give relations to his daughter. The king will exempt you from taxes. There's financial, relational, and governmental in the kingdom of heaven rewards for those who will fight their Goliath will go to that other place. And most of us at our age have already fought Goliath, right? But there's valley after valley after valley after valley. There's not one Goliath. There's not one valley. And what we do is we get free from some addiction. We get a little bit financially free. Everything's a little bit okay. Our marriage isn't going to fall apart. And then we quit fighting. We just let Goliath pin us in in too small of a land. But we want to keep pursuing. We want to keep moving towards moving towards the promises of the kingdom. For us, for our loved ones, for our children, and for our children's children. And it's good for our community the more and more we get set free, all right? Let's go ahead and stand up and want to just close us in a prayer here.